Well, welcome to the follow-up podcast. My name is Hayden. I am the worship director here at Arbor Church, and I'm in the booth today. But on stage, we have Scott Hetherington, a member of our speaking team. <laughs> and we have Allison Oconey, our community care pastor. And today we're going to be talking about your message from uh, Sunday, Scott, which um, wrapped up our series, Letters to a Young Church, and you also wrapped up our second book within that series, Galatians. So this has been a series that you've been a part of quite a bit. You've, I don't know the total number, but it feels like almost every other week you were up preaching on this yeah, series. I don't, I don't know how many. I've lost count too. Yeah. It yeah, was it's fun been to wrap awesome. it up, even though I did not do any rapping, which was probably good for anybody <laughs> because I think I can rap, but I really can't. But no, I've, yeah, it's been quite a few through Thessalonians and Galatians. Yeah. yeah. Such a great series. Such a great series. Know, I'm sorry to see it. Pick go. it back up again down Let's the road. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. It's a deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a bummer Brian's not here because then we could kind of talk about the series as a whole and, and talk about what we liked about it and um, kind of some of the things that it taught us. But Scott, I'm curious. You have been a part of quite a few of these weeks out of the series. Is there anything from your studies of First Thessalonians or Galatians that uh, was new to you along the way, or maybe not necessarily new, but um, something that has more meaning this time around studying through those two books and preaching on them? Um, I don't know if it's new so much as it is. I think what's amazing about the Scripture, I mean, anytime you're reading Scripture and studying it, God has a way of aligning those old truths into where you're walking through in life. And I don't know if it's a, like a new understanding or if it's more of a, an awakening understanding that aligns with some things you're going through in life right at that moment. That brings a different level of um, maybe understanding or empathy or just how it, how it sits in your spirit differently. And I felt like coming through Galatians on the heels of everything we've gone through really resonated with some things that we're all trying to grow through as well. So I don't know if there was anything new to learn. It really resonated with me on a different level, especially this last chapter really resonated deeply with me mm. on a personal level. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't want to divert away from the uh, serious conversation of the Bible, but just real fast, which book do you prefer preaching on more, Thessalonians or Galatians? <laughs> Um, I like Galatians okay. because the legalistic aspect of it really ties into my childhood and a lot of what I related to for a long time in my spiritual walk. So I would lean towards Galatians. Mm -hmm. um, nothing against the people of Thessalonica, you know. <laughs> Don't throw shade at them. I'm not shading them. <laughs> uh, Scott, what was this? The process like for this final, I, I imagine you didn't feel like a ton of pressure, like I'm closing out the, the series, so I got to make it a good one. But there is a certain amount of seriousness every time you preach. <laughs> what? The dog and pony show. You know, yeah. I got to burn my A game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, not, not that there was any expectation of that. But, Pyrotechnics. Um, what, what, was the, what was the preparation for this, uh, this message like? Um, I saw this one coming the minute we stepped into Galatians. I, I, <laughs> did you know it was yours right I away? Did not, it wasn't originally mine, the way the series was set up. You're right. And we had to, we, we had jostled to it around. around. Yeah. Because I would have been last the week Brian Fruit of spoke. the Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I saw this chapter coming because I had mentioned something about it, I think, to you very quickly. 
And um, I don't know, I think God aligned it that way intentionally. And I, I knew the heaviness that was going to be on me coming into this, but also the message I know that is just good for all of us to be reminded of, including myself. So I'd been thinking on it for at least two or three weeks of trying to just, how am I going to navigate this conversation? And then I just dug into some other commentaries and some other sermons I had read online and just tried to piece together some of my own thoughts. I, I listened to it both first and second service and then even got a little um, review session before today's um, taping. And I, every time that I would listen to your instruction about restoring someone who's um, lost or fallen or like strayed from the faith, my heart got so full of tears, like to the tipping point almost, oh. where it was like in a gush over. And so, um, first service, I was like, oh crap, here come the tears. And I can't listen once tears start because everything starts running and, you know, my nose and everything. So I just kind of muscled through first service. But second service, I let myself um, engage a little bit more. And like you said, that teaching through the text, you know, God lines this up just so beautifully for where we're at personally and as a church. Um, it just felt like the right time to be um, unpacking how would you restore someone who's fallen away or fallen into sin and the admonishment or the gentle correction about being gentle and um, you didn't use the word empathy, really. I mean, Paul, that's not a Paul word or right. anything, but I, I did think of empathy, like how to restore someone. Um, so anyhow, I just personally wanted to thank you for teaching on this so well. And um, I mean, for me, it's a, a message I literally could listen to again and again. Um, what, so you important. might ask me what resonated with you. What part of it was it that just, <laughs> is it part of what we both have experienced, you know, as friends, with a friend? Or is it what, was it just more awareness? Or what do you think part of that was? Well, so um, imagine that you have a friend who's fallen, right? And you're going to restore them back to faith. It's not like, it's, it's like getting them back on the road to the Lord. It's not necessarily about getting them to be your best friend again, right? right? Like, that's not the point. It's to, like, restore them into um, a closeness with the Lord. So, like, that's preeminent. So, that was a great reminder. Um, I think the spirit of it, like, being gentle, and um, sometimes when you are in that break of a relationship, there's a lot of anger and it's hard right. or there's sadness or disappointment. It's hard to be gentle in that. But I love that that was important to Paul. It was important to the Lord to like come to your friend in gentleness. So that was instructive. Um, I can tell my nose is starting to drip because okay. it's the teary thing again. I, I think you said something that's very interesting is that, you know, like how we go about restoring somebody I don't think there's a 10-step process of how you restore someone to the Lord. I think there's a characteristic of gentleness, God's truth, um, you know, things that we can, fruits of the Spirit we put in there. 
But oftentimes, it, there's, it, what do you restore? I mean, some people need to have their faith restored because they've gotten confused in their faith and been led astray. Others still know their faith. They just step deeply into sin and need to step towards repentance. Others, maybe that have a repentant heart, need to be restored in God still loves you. God's not done with you. There's not, you don't need to carry the shame. There's a way to work. So this restoration is different. And I think that's an interesting, that could be a whole series of study of just what does restoration mean? But you brought up empathy and I think, I love empathy and I think it's a very powerful thing we need to have in our lives. But I also wonder about oftentimes we may be called to restore somebody that we can't empathize with what they've done because we haven't done that or experienced that. And I think that's where gentleness is a much more overarching thing. If we can't be fully empathetic, all right, which is like really relating to the pain, we can be gentle in their pain with them or in their loss or their hurt. And I think it's ironic that Paul is the one that brings this gentleness to there. Because he wasn't a very gentle guy. If you read about him in history, he was pretty... Well, he wasn't even 100% gentle with the Galatians. No, exactly. <laughs> So it was like in the or, same letter. Yeah, or the Judaizers or anything like that, so... It's a it's an it's an interesting dynamic. This the word gentleness. It's something that I'm still learning. You also well, and so if you look at the flip side of that, I mean, I think for me, for personal reflection, was the flip side of that. Then is if you're harsh with someone, does it achieve that restoration, or is that more of a stumbling block that you're putting in the path of this person? You know, and then you also had instructed or Paul instructed that um like get yourself right with the lord before encouraging anyone else to get right with the lord so um anyhow i think that's also part of um not putting a stumbling block in front of somebody like my harshness is making it harder for you to be restored that's not great and where's that harshness coming from right i tried to talk a little bit more about that is that the feelings you carry into that because maybe you were part of the ones that were harmed. I mean, I think of like with my dad and the decisions he's made that create a lot of harm on the family, but trying to walk alongside and restoring things and watching him restore his relationship with God over the years. How do you navigate that hurt and not make it personal and carry that into the restoring conversation and work? So that's a difficult part of it as well. Would you say that if somebody isn't able to be gentle and because they were so harmed in, like, you with your dad, for example, like, I don't know all the details, but, like, what if you were harmed in such a way that you aren't the one called to restore him? Like, that it could be somebody else's job. I I don't think it's people that have been given the most hurt in something that are often called to be the one that restores. I think God brings along somebody else Mm. because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think there's unique situations because there might not be a lot of options. Mm -hmm. But I think Paul's overall messaging is whether you are the direct person in contact, walking with the restoration... All of us need to look at it in gentleness and be gentle with the process and the timing of it all. Um, but yeah, I don't think that everybody that's been hurt by somebody is called to have to walk alongside them in their restoration because oftentimes there's still too much pain and hurt there to be able to do that right away. Well, let's talk for a minute about you 
differentiated reconciliation and restoration. So maybe tell us a little bit more about that because you may not be called to be the restorer or whatever. Um, but, and you may not be called to be reconciled fully to somebody either, or like, tell, tell me more about that part. Um, I, I can only speak from my personal local immediate as a divorced, you know, dad to, you know, divorcee is that there, there got to a point where I, where I realized that, um, me and my ex-wife were never going to be reconciled in that way. And yet my heart was always, God, would you restore both of us through this hurt to relationship with you? No matter what, I wanted for Ashley to be restored to God, to be the mom she needed to be to my children, and for me to be restored to God in a way that I could be the father I needed to be to my children. Yet I knew there wasn't going to be that type of reconciliation. With my dad, when he left, I knew there wasn't going to be reconciliation back to my mom, but I still wanted to see my dad's heart restored to a place where he could have a relationship with God to learn and see what he did and how that sin and that choice impacted his family. And while he may not ever be able to fully reconcile those relationships, he could restore his relationship with God to continue to be used and growing in him. And that, I, I don't know if that's an easy thing to get to. And I don't know any magic thing I got to be to that point other than I just try to believe. And if God says this is how something should be, I'm going to try it. <laughs> and it's not easy. It's like it's, it can be a gravel-eating, pride-swallowing experience at times. But and, I just, and oftentimes, the role we play in somebody's life is just being present and being gentle and being a voice of reason and truth. They do the work with God on the relationship end. It's not like I'm opening up any doors for God. He can knock them open himself. And I would think that even like, let's say there's a hundred people here that call Arbor home and like, let's say we have somebody here that's like fell away or whatever. And it may not be the 99, like they all need to go and have a DTR with the person and like be like, dude, or do that. You hurt me in this way. And so I need to like have this big conversation and restore you. It's like somebody can run point on that, but yet there is a role for the 99, right? That we are, yes. we are loving for, to this person. We are praying for this person. We are kind when we encounter them. We are, you know, support their family or whatnot, like that we can love them, right? And that, right. that's part of restoration too. Yeah, and you may never have relationship with them again or see them again or engage with them again, but you can still pray for a restored relationship with God. Reconciliation, I think I said in there, is like it's building a relationship that once was there again. It's bringing something back into harmony. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there can't be that mm-hmm. because of the harm and the hurt mm-hmm. and whatever was done there. But there can, that's why restoration, like I said, is like healing a fracture or dislocation, dislocated arm. You wouldn't wish somebody to walk around with a broken arm all their lives. You want that arm to heal for them to be useful again. They just may not be useful in a role in your life anymore. But you can still hope they get the medical treatment and the help they need. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you one 
practical. So like first service, I was like the full heart with the tears ready to spill over. <laughs> I was battling that. Second service, it um, I was shift. I shifted a little bit more into um, like practical step to take for restoration for someone. So I grabbed my phone. Do share. It, this was probably three quarters through your sermon and I grabbed the phone and there was somebody I hadn't talked to for a while and our relationship was a little on the skids but so I just texted and said I'm thinking of you I hope all is well with you um you know praying good things for you in every way this week and you know I just felt like okay not that I am in charge of restoration or anything but that's the extension of the goodwill praying for that person and doing my part to live at peace with with people. So anyhow, your sermon encouraged me to do a practical step towards res- restoration. Right. I think part of the restoration is that usually you're restoring because someone has stepped off the path into sin. And if you don't try to restore gently or bring them, they're just going to continue down a path of destruction. That isn't good for them or anybody else. And so that's where I see the restoration is it's getting them back on a path towards God. Mm -hmm. I used to belong to a church very close by. (laughs) When I joined, uh, you know, it was like in the dark ages because I was so young back then. (laughs) But one of the things they used to do. Before (laughs) Wi-Fi. Yes, before cell phones were created. Um, They had this thing called church discipline. And it was like understood that when you became a member at this church that, hey, if you get off the the beaten track, we'll come and find you. And we'll like show like the way that you've gotten off. And we want like you to come back. And to me, that was so appealing because I, it freaked me out to think that I could get lost and no one would come and find me, you know, and that nobody would point it out. Nobody would care and that I could just get lost and, you know, and I would be gone. So I know that some churches do church discipline horribly. And that's like a terrible (laughs) thing. I've seen some horrible examples in my own lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, uh, my husband and I had this joke. um, The elders every now and then at this church would get up for an announcement and they would say, it has come to the attention of the elder board that, and then they would say a name and they would say that, you know, Sarah, you know, is whatever. Lost to us forever. <laughs> wow, this that, is getting very dark. No, I'm kidding. I mean, that's not what they'd say. But John and I would sit there with our breath held, thinking that they were going to say our name. You know, like, it's come to the attention board that Allison Aconi. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, surely they'd come and tell me before, you know, like, hey, heads up, you're you're off the track. We're not just going to announce your name right. in, in church. but. Anyhow. But you know, and, but Paul talks about that. Paul does in some of his letters call out some specific people in the church that need to be. But then he always says, with that, our hope is for them to be restored to yeah. Christ. Yeah. Because if we don't have that hope, then the whole reason of the cross is it, it's just only for us to become on the good side, mm-hmm. and then we have to walk the straight and narrow. We can never. But we're infallible humans. So yeah. I mean, we're fallible, fallible humans. Yeah. Fallible. Um, and so. I don't think I have it all figured out, but I think that gentleness part is what resonated with me the most because I've had to work really hard in my life to try to be more gentle. <laughs> well, and they, 
they, they, I mean, the Bible <laughs> says that it's the kindness of the Lord that turns us to repentance. Yes. Right. I mean, it's his, it's his love and his kindness that is winsome to us. So if we came with anything, um, counter to that, I would think it would do the opposite, right? right. Not necessarily win your brother to Christ. So. Yeah, I always want to say in messages like this, when it's like reconciliation or restoration or forgiveness, is that none of those three things take away the wrongness of what happened. Right. I mean, you know, if I was doing something dangerous, you know, rock climbing and broke my arm, I would have to learn what did I do that caused that to not do it again. And there's going to be a painful part of resetting the arm and the rehab. And so there's still like, even though you're being gentle in restoration, there's still some direct, strong conversations that have to happen within that. Um, but I think that's the beauty of, can you do that in gentleness that will deliver the message and produce someone wanting a heart of being restored to God first? Because if they don't restore to God first, then everything's going right back to what Paul talks about. We're doing it out of the flesh. And that's probably what got us to that point in the begin with. You made a point... Um to to talk about the vertical restoration and relationship and then the horizontal. Yes. Can you um, remind me how that works then? It's this first. Well, I again, I think that when things go sideways in your life and you make a mistake or, a mis- or something has happened to you, you try to scramble so hard to fix this. What's going on here? And once we get this fixed, we think, okay, everything's good. We got it back to normal. Is that because this is the stuff we can see? We and so see, that we, we think, feel it okay. benefits us. There's usually something that benefits me out of that relationship. Or it's a thing that's you. bleeding too, because someone could be sending you angry texts yes. or like yelling in your face. Yeah. Okay. And maybe because if we go to this, I realize I might be as big a part of the problem as I think you are, mm-hmm. or vice versa. And that's where it's more difficult because... What God is trying to say to me all the time is, Scott, you got to focus on you and me. Because if you can focus on you and me, I can help you manage this. But the more I try to manage this on my own, I can do a lot of good down here on my own. But in the end, it's wearisome. It's an emptiness. It doesn't produce the fruit of the Spirit that I'm hoping to see not only me, but everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I'm not perfect at that. Trust me. I struggle with that all the time. But I think that's where the restoration process has to begin with. I'm going to go to God and make sure what is it in my own life that I need to have aligned so that when I go into this, I'm not coming out of it prideful. Oh, look what I did. Or I'm not falling into a similar temptation and I'm ignoring my own things. Tell me more about that. I've been so curious. Like I was sitting in service trying to think of examples of like, say somebody falls into sin, right? And then we're supposed to restore them without getting caught in it ourselves. I guess the closest thing I could think of is um, back in student ministries, leaders would help their students uh, figure out their porn issues. Like, let's say your student's doing a bunch of porn. And so the leader's like, hey, I'm going to like help you figure out how to not do this so much anymore. And meanwhile, they'd exchange like website information. Like, well, so I go to dot, dot, you know, www dot whatever it is. And then the leader's like, 
I'll go check it out. <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, they've fallen into that too. But I couldn't really think of any other specific examples of falling into sin that your because brother th- was in. Because I think oftentimes we think of the the actual sin that we see. Like if you think of, like you use the example of pornography, or we think of an affair, or we think of, you know, some fraudulent thing that happened. To me, there's always an underlying deeper sin issue that's going on there. Lust, mm-hmm. all right? Um, you know, control or power, um, addictiveness or, you know, um, just some sexual immorality. So the idea is that while I may be trying to restore somebody that's struggling with, like, pornography, I may not actually fall into viewing pornography, but the enemy's going to come along and figure out, do you have any issues of lust in your life? that you're not aware of? And are you staying aware in Christ as I'm walking alongside um, this person? Am I being aware, God, of any lust that's in my own life? Hmm. Or as I'm over here trying to restore somebody that did something, you know, I don't know, fraudulent or something, is there any part of my life that I'm feeling like a controlling power dynamic over that I'm not fully giving to you? Is it rooted in... Is it a little bit like the speck and log thing then? Like that you would, before you go and correct your brother or before you go point out some stuff, like do some self-examination first? Continually throughout the process. Okay. Yeah, because I think helping somebody, here's here's the craziest thing about ministry and walking alongside people and discipling. It's a pride builder. It's an ego builder if you're not careful. Because helping, there's no better feeling than helping somebody get a life back together and believe in themselves again and go do something. Mm-hmm. And it can puff you up. Mm-hmm. And out of that pride then can become this, for me in my life, when pride begins to take over, I get blind and lazy to the things the enemy can get me with usually. Hmm. You know, Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does, especially because usually... I mean, on the one hand, the person might be saying like, oh my gosh, if it weren't for you, I would be, you know, or other people where would are I complimenting be? you. I oh. can't believe what you're doing. Thank you for doing that. <sighs> you're such a good person. And that's all good to receive. That affirmation is yeah. needed. But at the same time, if you don't stay humble, yeah, that's why I kept hitting it's got to be in humility, remembering that you are just as a broken vessel as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And if you don't remember that in Christ... um. I don't know. And it is really God doing the work. I mean, it's the it, Holy Spirit that's is. doing the work. You're an you. agent or yes. a vessel yeah. that's being used. So, I mean, yeah, that's interesting. Have you ever tried restoring somebody and it didn't go well? Well, yeah, I shared the story of the one high school kid that I'm like, we've tried everything we could here. <laughs> but even that, um, he was like, take me to jail because I'm not going to live if I don't, he knew, right? Yeah, he knew he'd go right back to the... Um, the um, uh, uh, is it, uh, uh, what is it called? Octicox? Oh, Oxycontin. There it is. Yeah. yeah. I can't even say it. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of people that along my life journey that I've tried to walk alongside of and restore and they chose not to or it didn't go well and I wasn't the right person and somebody else came along and that's fine too. It's all being open to that. Maybe God, you has a season to take him to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else leads from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it has to just be one person. Mm-hmm. Oh. I think there's some people that would say they failed with me and trying to get me restored at some points in my life because I was pretty <laughs> stubborn. 
That's a funny way to look at it. Um, I, so I had this question for you, Scott. I was just thinking about it. Um, Paul in the New Testament, and especially Galatians, talks about new creation and then the relationship that uh, new Christians that came from Judaism had with the law, right? Um, I, I'm curious, do you find it challenging speaking to an audience who doesn't have a ton of knowledge and have lived under, you know, the law in their life? Because Paul was speaking to primarily, I mean, spoke to non-Jews as well, but for the most part, he's he's talking about this revolutionary new lifestyle that is being in relationship with Jesus and not living under, you know, the law, living under grace, living, have this new creation, this new life with Christ. Do you find it challenging preaching on a Sunday morning to a an audience that doesn't really have that same knowledge that Paul was preaching to? Um, yeah, I think it's a contextual challenge because not only not only did we not do we not live under that Old Testament law or have an understanding that if you were going to be in relationship with Christ, you converted to Judaism and followed that law and lived in that law. And that doesn't really, it, let me say this, it doesn't, it doesn't relate well, I would say, in um, mainstream America. Yeah. Other corners of the world, it still resonates. Mm-hmm. But in the American church, maybe more so the white American church, <laughs> it doesn't resonate as well because I would say over the last 50 years, we've become more liberal in our lifestyle than our parents or grandparents would ever think we would be. Yeah. And society has become more liberal in its lifestyle, just what's on TV or what we're talking about or what are what we're, we're educating children on. I, so all of that lives a lot more freedom in a Christian's life where a lot of them don't feel, maybe don't even feel enough restriction in their life of how to live. We could use a little more law in some of our lives. Mm. And so the idea of saying you're not under the law, people are like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. So that to me is more of the challenge is help is making people understand like, yes, we all embrace this freedom. I think the church has really swung towards embracing that freedom, but I now see some of the pendulum coming back going, okay, hold on though. Yeah. It doesn't give you the right to just live whatever lifestyle you want. There are mm-hmm. some guidelines and guiding principles of scripture that are good for your soul and heart and your relationship with God. So I find that more of the challenge than, mm-hmm trying to explain to somebody what the law was like. Yeah. Um, it might be the same. I mean, what do you think, Allison? You've been doing this for a while as well. Well, I was I almost said for a long, long time, but that would have... <laughs> for 100 years now. Well, you said since before Wi-Fi or whatever, back I in the know, dark it's ages. Hard to imagine. You, said, you said the dark ages. <laughs> I, I wonder if the Pacific Northwest is unique in this um (laughs) because we're just a free people aren't we but if (laughs) if we went down to the south maybe like there would be cultural rules like you can't wear white shoes before memorial day or whatever it is well there's still you dress up to go to church and a lot of culture still in america you get dressed up yeah and so i mean to us, the PNW, that feel, feels super foreign. Um, we're just very, very free around here. Very casual. Very casual. And um, we don't talk much about, like, what does holiness look like mm-hmm. and, you know, faith practice. And um, right. 
the freedom and privilege it is to engage in faith practice mm. um, without making it a legalistic kind of thing. So I would say that's, I'm glad you brought that up. I would agree because I think mm. talking about um, the law and, you know, legalism in this region of the country where we live, where it is a very casual culture, casual Christianity, casual dress code, all of that is a different resonating than if I were to go down to Tennessee or Alabama or somewhere in the Midwest in the Bible Belt where people like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about all the time. I still have to deal with that. I think the other thing we count, the thing we counter up here more is the minute we try to bring some boundaries into people's lives, mm. there's a great resistance. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Don't tell me I can't sleep oh, around before I'm married. What are you sure. talking about? How do you even know if you really love the person? What do you mean I can't be just... There's much more resistance to any type of boundaries you want to do in this Pacific Northwest Western culture than there is in other corners of this country. Mm. I think we've even seen it a little bit with church attendance because I know like... Um, in the South, for example, they were born and bred on Sunday church, right? Every week they would go. We'd and go it's, twice on Sundays. <laughs> twice Hated it. Sunday. <laughs> Morning and then the evening. It interrupted Six Million Dollar Man. I'm like, I always <laughs> want to watch the Six Million Dollar Man. And you only came in at Bionic Woman. Dang it. Yeah. yeah. You're lost, man. But yeah, I feel like in that, those kinds of habits were ingrained. And some of the people in the South might think, oh, I wish I didn't have that kind of thing like built into me where I feel like I have to go to church Mm -hmm. on Sunday but on the opposite end over here in the PNW we've just released the cats you know (laughs) with COVID and it's hard hard to get them back in the building like I know that we're not completely out of COVID or anything so a lot of people are needing needing to be cautious for good reason Um, but it's hard to build back that regular faith practice and not that we want to pretend like it's the law and you have to do this, you know, to be a Christian by any means, but just faith practice is takes, um, practice. Shall we say things we should do? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Good habits. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, Scott, you said when we were, you're referring to, um, us in the church being more liberal, the people being more little, all of that. You said um, you felt like the pendulum swung, but then you said it, you felt like it might have swung too far in a, in certain areas. I guess without getting into like bashing or judgment, could you name any of those areas that you feel like we have gone too far away from? You know what you had said. Um, I just think theologically, there's mm-hmm. I've seen the rise and fall of a couple just churches in the area that I had friends plant that, you know, moved away from Jesus isn't the only way. There's a lot of different pathways to um, God, and Jesus happens to be one person, one good person, that there's a pathway to there. So I think just the mm. the the embracing of other options out there for getting to God, that's the, the and then just the, the, I mean, it's like Paul says, you want me to give you meat, but you're still on milk. Mm. And the idea of really knowing the scripture and the flow of the scripture, and you know, I'm guilty of this with my own kids. I mean, for me, I understood the whole context of Genesis to Revelation and how it all played out, you know, by the time I was in, you know, middle school because it just was taught that way. But we don't do that as much anymore. Mm. And I think all of that, before I call like anything specific, I think it's just not embracing knowing the scripture and what Jesus is saying. Mm 
can lead to the embracing of all these other things that, of course, are going to lead to confusion. Mm -hmm. So that's where I see a lot of it that really bothers me the most. Um, if you get, want to get like particular lifestyle choices or sins or whatever the church used to rebel against, I think all of that is a product of do we really understand the Scripture and what God is saying mm. and the heart of why he's saying it? Yeah. I uh, I liked uh, in your in your manuscript at the end of it you said the law provides information the cross produces transformation, which I thought was um, I thought was so cool because I think a lot of times we want to bash on the law right like it's it's something that the Pharisees and everybody else um, hung on to but I I liked that you were able to lift up grace without tearing down the law and not just completely throw it out the window and say right. the law is pointless. We have Jesus now. There's no need for it. But understanding that it was informative, it was helpful for, you know, the the structure of spirituality before Jesus came around. So, Yeah, and that, that's, that's my personal story. I mean, I've said it many times in the services and podcasts that, you know, I grew up in a very legalistic church. Yet, and I saw... A lot of my friends walk away from the faith and never yeah. come back. I mean, I was at a Christian school that within a year went from about 100 and some kids down to like 25. People yeah. just walked out, just left. Um, and some of them just never returned to the church, just a strong bitterness of whatever it is and resentment of the church the rest of their lives. And I don't fault them for the hurt and the harm that came to them. But at the same time, I always tried to look back going, but what did it teach me? Mm. What was the good out of that that I brought? And I brought a sound knowledge of the scripture that maybe was applied incorrectly. Mm. But the scripture that I understood, all right, was just applied and put to, per put to work wrongly. So I tried to go back and look at the scripture through the lens of Christ and said, how does he say we should apply that and use that mm. to disciple and love others? And I don't know if everybody does that, I don't know what it is that sparks me to try to always find the good and the bad. Yeah. I've just always been that way. But I think we too often throw the baby out with the bathwater when mm. it comes to church and doctrine because we feel it's holding us down or it's mm. not, you know, we're trying to rebel. We can't, can't tell, hold the law over me. Well, I'm not holding the law over you. I'm trying to tell you that there's some things in Scripture that you need to hear, and mm. let's figure out how we can apply that in our life. Yeah. Can you stand a parenting example? That would be perfect. We all have them. We all, well, Hayden. Oh, there you go. I thought you meant up here. Um, when my kids He were, would have a parenting example, just be his version of his parents. That's exactly. True. Yeah. That's true. Uh, when my kids were in elementary school, I heard a great speaker called, his name was Mark Hamby, and he talked about grace-based parenting. Yeah. And mm. um, the thing is, my kids were already like eight, nine, ten. By that point, his suggestion for grace-based parenting was like he would give practical examples of releasing your kid from like, like, let's say they had a hard morning and you go in and make their bed for them because they didn't get to it that day. And that's like showing grace to them that you're not going to be like cracking the whip on making them do something mm -hmm. uh, laborious that on a hard day or whatever. Um, I remember loving his teaching and knowing that because my kids knew that making the bed was the expectation for every morning, that me going in on a rando day 
would be actually a blessing to them and mm. they'd receive it as grace. If, if they never had been taught to make their bed in the morning or that the expectation was never that they would need to do that, me going in and doing it for them would mean nothing. Right. So I, I felt like, in a way, knowing the law first helps you appreciate grace all the more because then you realize, you know, everything that you're being released or forgiven from or like able to walk in freedom and not that you'd abuse your parent by making them make your bed every day, but right. like that you would walk in and you'd appreciate it because you'd be like, oh my gosh, right? thank you for doing that. You know, it meant something. So yeah, I felt like I learned grace-based parenting at the perfect time because my kids had already like learned their chores or learned the house rules or whatever expectations. So then whenever I did show grace, it meant all the more to them. Right. So anyhow. Mm. I was good. <sighs> good old days, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think we're pretty good on time and um, I have no further questions for Scott. Allison, how about you? I just can't wait till we get you back. I know. I love it. We're going to well, have to wait. I think we just set that up, right? Yes, April 25th. April 25th. April 25th. So, I hope you have a happy Easter. I am going to have a good Easter. One it's Easter, but yeah, good. it'll be good. <laughs> good. You deserve a rest. Yes. I know. Spring hard. break's coming up. i got a week of spring break that I'm looking forward to. <laughs> good. You've worked hard yes. here at Arbor, and you've worked hard with your school district and your school, so you deserve. Yes. If well, it wasn't COVID, we'd give you a spa day. So. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a spa day. I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> You'll figure it out pretty fast. <laughs> Just relax. Just relax, man. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put the cucumbers on your eye. <laughs> Spread and then the put it around. in the water. You put the cucumber on your eyes and in the glass of water. Quit eating the cucumber, Scott. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's probably what would happen. Maybe it's best you just go Can hiking. Can I have some ranch with that? <laughs> I think a spa day would be wasted on you. Yeah, yeah. We digress. I, I'm hopeless. I'm a hopeless cause. Well, thank you for the great message on Sunday, Scott. And thank you for uh, just speaking so often during this series. It was a treat to have you so often. And um, also, thank you for being on the podcast. Literally, every time you spoke, it's it's tough to to get you to come in here during the week because you're a busy man, but I appreciate you making time for us. And I love doing on. the podcast. It's one of my favorite things. This is fun. <laughs> Mine too. I love it. Well, awesome. Well, um, I'm going to wrap things up. Thank you guys so much for chatting with me, and um, thanks for people listening or watching, and uh, we will see you guys next week after Easter. So if, uh, if you haven't already signed up online, you can sign up for a spot in person for our Easter services. And uh, make sure to check out Good Friday on, on Friday. That, that's a no-brainer, right? Online, At 7 p.m. Right? Yeah, online. online. And then we also have our Stations of the Cross Thursday and Friday um, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., correct, Allison? Yep, stop on your way to work. Yeah. Have a little time or with the Lord. Or after work. Or after work. Yep. Depending on what time you get off. It might be closed, but you know the times. All right, well, thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>